All right. I want to open us up in prayer as we get started with this morning. We're going to be in several places. Um, let's open up in prayer, and then um, then we'll get started. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to stand before your people and proclaim the truth of your word. I pray as I do so that um, you would seal my lips, that I would speak nothing of myself, but that um, through the power of your Holy Spirit, your word would be proclaimed to your people and that your Holy Spirit would work in their lives, in our lives together as a church to sanctify us, to press us forward in the truth, to press us deeper into our relationship and hope in you, uh, that we would uh, be a people who would uh, turn the world upside down um, in our individual lives and the places that you might send us in uh, the places that you might send us to gather uh, as a body of believers. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we find in your word. Help me to be faithful to it. It's in Christ's name for his glory. Okay, so um, one, uh, it is such a great honor to be um, preaching God's word to you today. I'm uh, so thankful for the opportunity. Where's Dustin at? Dustin, thank you for the opportunity uh, to, to preach. Um, kind of how this came about, Dustin was going on vacation. I came in um, apparently at just the right time into his office <laughs> like a, a week and a couple of days ago, and he was like, Landon, what do you think? Um, <laughs> I was like, sure, man. <laughs> Okay, so um, reality, like if I know where I'm going, like in class where I've got like months and months and months planned out ahead of time, um, it's all good. Um, a week is not short notice, um, but man, with the pressure um, that you feel when you stand before God's people and proclaim his word, there's not enough time at, at times to, to feel like you're uh, adequately prepared to do this. So, um I, I, the pressure's good, though, um, so I, I do appreciate Dustin um, and all that he does. And as I stand here, it it just um, it just it's a reminder, um, and and it's one of those things that not everyone understands. I don't think the kind of pressure that it is to stand before God's people and say, "Thus saith the Lord." So um, it's been a while for me, and just being here. Um, the pressure, the pressure is real, and God is faithful uh, in that. Today, as we um, dig in, so Dustin, because I tend to have things planned out, and this was um, not really short notice, but kind of short notice, I was like, Dustin, man, is there any way that I could help you? Um, um, maybe like something that you weren't able to, to dig into or that you'd like to circle back around into in the book of Acts. And uh, Dustin was like, yeah, man, like he immediately had something. And it lined up exactly perfectly with where we were at in class already. So like God is God is um, always at work in the hearts of his people and the timings of everything. He is sovereign um, over every action that he takes. 
that, that we take. And so he was like, uh, yeah, man, I, w- I would love to um, kind of circle back and, and spend some time in um, the person of the Holy Spirit and his um, and his dealings in Acts. Now, um, here's here's where this can at times get difficult. Um, at least 55 times throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is spoken of directly. And I would go so far as to say is that there is not a single action taken by any member of God's church in the book of Acts that is not a direct influence of the Spirit of God. So finding a place to start with that, um, there, that, was a, that was a daunting thing. Um, where I decided, as, after, after uh, much deliberation on this, um, there's a particular verse in Acts that happens to be one of my... Um, most favorite verses because it is uh, both challenging um, in one regard and it is humbling in another regard and it is impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So uh, we're going to start today looking at something that Dustin has covered already in the past. Happens to be one of my favorite spots in this book. In Acts chapter 17, um, here Paul and Silas have been uh, preaching to the the to the Thessalonians, um, and a particular event comes out, and a phrase that is used here just kind of has always stuck out with me. Um, we're going to start in chapter 17 of Acts, verse 2, and Paul went in and was as was his custom, and on. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, uh, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, but the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city city authorities shouting. And here's, here's this verse that just like something about it stands out to me. They, they say here, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying... That there is another king, Jesus. So these men have been proclaiming another king, Jesus, and they have built up a reputation for themselves in such a way that as they bring them here, they are saying that these men have turned the world upside down. Right now, um, the thing about this particular text that inspires me as a as a Christian, it, it almost calls back to the youthfulness as I'm now full-fledged in middle age. Is this idea that that this might be said about us, right? That it might be said about me. That it might be said about you, you, you. That it might be said about us together. That we are a people that have turned the world upside down. 
And as I consider this, and I consider this reality, it's a humbling thing to consider because I know how impossible it would be for me to turn anything upside down. Right? So often, um, if I reflect on my own life or if I reflect on um, my own emotions or my own um, heart, I find myself very oftentimes relating with Peter in his fall. Right? Like, you'll deny me three times after he's been so bold about what he would do for Christ. And I ask myself, how is it that such cowardly men, that people incapable of even the smallest thing might turn the world upside down, this is you are here today because something in this statement is true. The world has been turned upside down. But they miss something in this claim about these men that is critical to the truth of this statement. Have they been turning the world upside down? Have they? Yes. Without question, they have. But how have they been turning the world upside down? Through Christ, specifically Christ wielding the power of the Holy Spirit in and through His people. Okay, so we're going to look through Acts at the person of the Holy Spirit specifically in how He has been working to turn the world upside down. Okay, so um, to do this, I want us to go back. We're going to go to John real quickly. Maybe not real quickly. We may be here for a minute. We'll see. We're going to go to John chapter 16. I want us to look... Um, Now, I want to set a little context. So we're going to be specifically looking at John chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 7 through 15 here. Um, But I want to go back and I want to set a little context for uh, what what the conversation has looked like up until this point. Um, So if we go back into uh, chapter 13, here we find uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Um, Then Jesus points out that one of those closest to him is going to betray him. The disciples are wondering who this might be. And even though Jesus tells them specifically how to identify it, even when this action takes place, they're they're still troubled. They find themselves in this weird place of like, Jesus kind of sets the tone for everything that he's going to say following this, and it is a solemn tone for his followers. Right? So Jesus is essentially like telling them that he's going to go away after all this work that they've done together, that they won't see him again. He lays out for them um, this promise that we find in chapter 14, um, verse, we'll look at verse uh, 12. He says, Truly I say to you that whoever believes in me will also do the 
works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do in the Father that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom you cannot, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You will know him, for he dwells with you. And then he gives them this promise that we're going to see play out in the book of Acts. He says, you will know them, or you know him, for he dwells with you. And he says he will be in you. He continues on, and their hearts continue to be heavy in this. Um, He says in verse 25 of chapter 14, these things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the helper... Clarifying this here, he says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives it, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, let not them be afraid. So we can see throughout this that um, Jesus knows where their hearts are at as he's giving them uh, this news. Um, he continues doubling down on this promise of the Holy Spirit. And we find ourselves now uh, in chapter 16 um, where he again promises the Holy Spirit. Now, as I consider the Christian walk, um, as I consider my Christian walk, and I would anticipate um, that there's a lot of commonality between my Christian walk and your Christian walk, and I find myself oftentimes in life thinking, if I could just see Christ now, if he could just be here before me, if I, how many of you, answer me this, how many of you think that it would be an advantage to you if you had seen Christ as the apostles saw Christ? How many of you? How many of you, if you saw Christ as Paul saw Christ on the road to Damascus, do you think your Christian walk would go in a different direction? How many of you? How many of you think that that's an advantage to them? It, if, it does, doesn't it? It feels like an advantage. It feels like they have an advantage. But here's a reality that Christ tells to them. As they are considering, as their hearts are heavy with the thought that they will not see Him shortly because He's going to the Father, He tells them this in verse 7 of chapter 16 of the book of, of John. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. I'm going to read that again in case you didn't catch it. Jesus himself speaking to his disciples, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. This helper that he's been promising will not come if he does not go. And he says that it's an advantage to these men who have walked with with him for years. He says that it is an advantage to them that he goes so that the Holy Spirit might come. And yet we find ourselves so oftentimes considering the advantage that we think that they had 
in their lives when they were walking with Christ. Yet what do we find of the lives of the disciples when they walk with Christ? What do we find? If we uh, pay close attention to where we are in this text, um, we will see that uh, we are in the run where um, Peter here um, is going to make great proclamations about uh, how he would never leave Jesus' side. This is during that time that he makes these proclamations. And yet, what do we find? What happens to Peter? Does Peter stand bold as though he had been walking with Christ? What do we find? What does he do? He denies him. He denies him. We would think it an advantage to walk with Christ. And yet the ones who did walk with Christ, on that day, what did they do? On his darkest day, where were his people? Hiding. Hiding. Cowardly. Let us not think that we would be different than them. Let us not think, given that situation, that advantage, that we would not find ourselves in the same place. How in the world do these people turn the world upside down? How do they do what has never been done before? So few numbers they were compared to the task ahead of them. So daunting this task before them. Jesus says here, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go. Do you, do you consider that the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, church, dwelling in you, in your lives, individually as you walk day by day, is the greatest advantage that you could ever know. Do you understand that? Do you understand that that is the difference maker between the moments they experience just following this and the explosion of the church through the book of Acts? Let's continue. As Christ lays out a promise here that we're going to see played out within the book of Acts. So, nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world. Now, I want us to notice this phrasing. He will convict the world because in a little bit uh, down the way, we're going to see him speaking to them, and he's going to say, and he will declare to you. So, And he will convict the world a little bit later, and he will declare to you. I want us to pay close attention to this wording here. So verse 8, and when he comes, that's when this helper comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin 
and righteousness and judgment. Three things that I want us to look into here is what he means when he talks about convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 9, he gives a little more detail. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. When we proclaim the gospel, when we proclaim the gospel, the gospel is a proclamation to the lost that they do not love God. They do not seek God. They are not righteous. No, not one. Not a single one of them love God. And the Holy Spirit convicts of this. Points out their sin. Highlights for them. So as I stand here today, incapable, like completely, there is no way that I can convict you. If you are here today and you do not love God, there is no hope that I have apart from God working through His Spirit in His Word for your heart to be pricked. There is no hope for change for you outside of God's Word and the Holy Spirit working in its proclamation to convict you and draw you to Him. So if they did not wait in chapter 1 of Acts, and they went out proclaiming of their own power, there would be no change that they would have seen. No change. No hope for an upheaval of the world. The Holy Spirit comes convicting of sin because they do not believe concerning righteousness so there's sin he, he convicts concerning sin concerning righteousness concerning judgment so the second piece here concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you will see me no longer as I read this and I would encourage you to go back and and read this and um uh, maybe it, it falls on you easier than it fell on me, but I read this time and time again, and as I considered this phrase, I'm like, Jesus, you could have said something better there. I'm like, I'm like, this is so confusing. What do you mean? What has he been telling them this whole time? What has he been telling them? In this place, he's going to his father, right? Okay. What man can stand before God? What man? Anybody here? Man or woman? Child? Any of you? Who, who, who would be so bold as to, to swing wide the gates of heaven and walk up before God and take a seat on His throne? Who? Who? None. Why? Because you're not righteous. Not that you're not innocent, but you're not righteous. You have not done righteous work. The Spirit of God convicts the heart because He is not here and yet it moves. Right? He is not here and yet the church presses on. Why? Because the claims that He made were true. Because He sits upon the throne. The righteous one has taken His place upon the throne. This is why the world is being upheaved right now. This is why the church has exploded. 
This is why we are here today because He is righteous. You do not see Him because He sits on the throne. And the Holy Spirit is the instrument with which He uses to exert His dominion over the world, reclaiming what is rightfully His by His church. To convict concerning sin, righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Verse 11, concerning judgment. Oh, I like this one. I like this one. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. What is the Holy Spirit going to do when he comes? What's the promise? He's going to convict of sin. He's going to convict of righteousness. And he's going to convict of judgment. Okay? And now, you stand in judgment if you are apart from Christ. But that's not who he's talking about here. When the Holy Spirit comes, he would convict over your allegiance here. Are you allied with the king that they proclaimed? Where do your allegiances lie? Are they with the rulers of this world? This world has been judged and found lacking. Satan himself judged in the work of Christ on the cross. Even now, even now, as he's speaking these words, Satan has entered into Judas to go do what is in Judas's heart. Working towards the... Consider this. If Satan has not been judged lacking, consider that his every best effort to thwart the work of Christ brought salvation to Christ's people. Who are you allied with here? The ruler of this world has been judged. Verse 11. Let's continue on in verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. As you can imagine, right? Like, um, Just as if you get news that you're dearest of friends is going away and you will not see him that you're probably not going to hear a lot of what he says after that because that that thought is weighing heavy on you and these promises he's giving these promises to you but we are but human right and we hear these things and all we're thinking at that moment is jesus is going away right but he tells them they can't bear these things Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. I want us to pay so close attention to the things that Jesus says in this latter part of the verse. So he will convict the world. That's what we see up in verse 8. And now as we press on to this hope of the spirit coming to guide the disciples, to guide us in truth, he starts, he starts speaking here about authority. Okay, So when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. Whatever He hears from whom? From Christ. 
Because who's the one with authority? Christ. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. Who is going to be the one to make the declaration to them? Who is it going to be? The Holy Spirit. Okay? So as we move into the book of Acts, I want you to be paying close attention to the work that the Spirit is doing in Acts. To convict and to declare. Because the statement that he's making, oftentimes I feel, church, that we don't hear what he's declared to us. Okay? I want you to understand this. Oftentimes, the way that we treat our walk as believers is though we are fighting a losing battle until we die and then we win. That's what our proclamation oftentimes sounds like. All right? And if we were left with the same reality that they had before the Spirit of God came, that would be what would be true for us as well. But they waited. Christ ascended, seated on the throne, sent the Spirit, and wields power over all that is His. And the Spirit's declaring all that is His. So there in that verse, and He will declare to you the things that are to come, verse 14, and He will glorify me. Do you seek to glorify Christ in your life? Do you? Is the Spirit in you? He will. He will. Do you find yourselves at times falling short? All the time. Trust that the Spirit of God will not fail to glorify Christ. He will glorify me. For He will take what is mine and declare it to you. As they are moving, they are seeing with their eyes the work of God. As we, church, as we move, as we live and breathe as followers of Christ, we ought to be seeing with our eyes the work of God. We ought to be expecting this. He's promised it to us here. This is not a promise for them only. This is not a promise for the first 30 some odd years of the church. This promise has continued to be played out from generation to generation until today. And no doubt, no doubt, the Spirit of God will continue declaring what is Christ until Christ comes. No doubt in my mind. He will, verse 14, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. So I want us to stop for a second. I want us to consider that verse. What is Jesus's? What is His? What is Christ's? Uh, is this building His? Um, is the cars outside His? Are the trees His? Is the sun His? Is the moon His? What is His? What is His? Everything. If you lay eyes on it, it's His. It's His. If you can't see it, it's His. If it is, it's His. 
And the Holy Spirit is declaring this from generation to generation. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, now this is one of those mic drop moments, right? Like he's proclaiming certainly who he is to them here. All the Father has is mine. That's why I can say it. That's essentially what he's saying here. I can say this to you. I can say this with such certainty because all that he has is mine. All that he has, right? All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Christ is Lord over all. There is nothing that he is not Lord over. Do you hear me? All is his. And the Spirit of God working throughout the time of the early church goes on to declare this um, in an undeniable way. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Um, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1 verse... 4 through 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Um, Jesus is a pretty smart guy. He knew what would happen if they got out ahead of themselves here. What would happen? Failure. <laughs> Complete and utter failure. Okay? He tells them to wait. What are they waiting for? The Holy Spirit. They're waiting for this promise that he has put forward to them. And we see this promise come about. So um, he says, you heard from me, or you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he's told them to wait and, and wait in anticipation of the Holy Spirit falling upon them. And what happens? Um, this is not new information to us. Dustin has preached through this book almost in its entirety at this point. So what happens? Does the Holy Spirit come? Yes. Now I want us to pay attention to him, to him coming here as he declares what is Christ. Okay? I want us to pay close attention. He comes convicting the world, declaring to his people. Look for, the, look for this pattern, this convicting, declaring. Right, specifically in this opening, um, opening outpouring of the Spirit upon His people. The Spirit is making a statement here. That's what I want us to get. He's making a statement about who and what is His. And He does so through the mouth of the man who denied. Right? Through the mouth of the man who denied. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, this is that day they were waiting for, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them Utterance. Now we're going to fast forward through this for the sake of time, but let's just say that when the Spirit fell on them, there was a scene that was made there. And people responded in a couple of ways. Verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed, 
saying together, what does this mean? What does this declaration that the Spirit is making here mean, church? But others said, others mockingly said, verse 13, they are filled with new wine. And then Peter steps forward and by the power of the Holy Spirit preaches one of the most amazing mic drop sermons to be found in all of Scripture. The man who was afraid to claim that he even knew Christ is calling out by the power of the Holy Spirit to the very ones who killed him. This is, who, this is the audience that we find him boldly by the power of the Spirit speaking to here. Does the Spirit convict? Um, yes. <laughs> like, what an amazing day it would be if thousands came forward. Right? The Spirit does his work in this sermon here. So Peter, they're like, what's going on? What's, what's this mean? Uh, they must be drunk, some of them said, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. He continues on. We're just going to fast forward a bit to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. We fast forward a little bit more and I could spend all day in this sermon because like the fact that this man who was cowardly just days before has now stepped forward with this immense change this immense like direction in which he is pressing forward into and continues from here on out pressing forward into I oftentimes find myself pondering what it must have been that did that and the answer is they waited the spirit fell as Christ promised to them and the world was turned upside down as a result of the work of the spirit and he continues verse 32 listen here to this declaration to these people that will both convict the heart of the lost and declare the majesty of Christ and all that is his to his people if you are here today and you find yourselves in one of those two categories, may you either be convicted 
Or may the declaration that the Holy Spirit made on this day resonate with you in such a way that you were encouraged to go and do. Verse 32. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Therefore, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father. Where did he tell them earlier that he was going? Where did he tell them? To the Father. Father. He's going to the Father. Where is he now? Where is he now as the Holy Spirit has fallen on his people? Where is he now? He is with the Father. He ascended. He is ascended and he's on the throne. This is why the Spirit can move as he's moving here. Christ is in his rightful place as king. This is what they proclaim. This is why the world was turned upside down. You might not see him, but you will know of his righteousness. You will be convicted of his righteousness because you don't see him, but you see his works. You see this king working. You see him working through the power of his spirit, declaring that all is his. This is what's taking place here. Pay attention. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this day that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. But He doesn't stop there. Okay? Alright, pay attention. Pay attention to this, please. So here we find... This promise that Christ had given them both to convict and to declare made clear. But I think, church, that we ought to understand what it is that the Holy Spirit is declaring to us. Oftentimes I feel as though we fail to understand just what is Christ Jesus. Like what is His? Right? We set limitations for where he could go here, what he could do here, as though all things are not his. For David did not ascend to the heavens, verse 34, for David did not ascend to the heavens. So as he's linking here, as he's linking here, this outpouring of the Spirit, what direction does he go? What direction does he go here? Tell me, someone, does he, does he go here to a place where there is lack of power for the people of God? Does he go here where all that we have to hope for in this world is to be overturned time and time again by the powers and principalities of it? Should we expect to lose? We do, though. We do. So oftentimes, expect to lose. As though the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead does not dwell within us, is not wielded by the hand of the one who sits on the throne. How dare we question his authority? How dare we question just how far he will go? So as he's linking this promise of the Spirit being poured out, he goes to this 
verse. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says. Where is Jesus right now? Where is Jesus? Where is he? Just, just for a reminder. Where is Jesus right now in this moment that this is taking place? He's with the Father. He sits at this very moment that Peter is preaching this message as king over all. Over all. And then, by the power of the Spirit moving in the preacher here, he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And we expect to lose. We expect to lose. We oftentimes start with that mentality. As though he did not make a promise that it would be the Spirit himself making declaration of what is Christ. And in this moment, the Spirit says, Do you see these men? Do you see these women who were with me? They're mine. They're mine. In an undeniable way, he says this. And he does not stop here. His kingdom's reign, the dominion of Christ, does not end in this moment. Right? We find several instances throughout the book of Acts that point to the ever-expanding kingdom of God into the kingdom of man. Ever-expanding. You are here today because it did not stop. Remember this. You are here today because the Spirit of God has continued declaring what is His. And He does this throughout the book of Acts. We're going to go, and we're rounding home now. Um, we're going to go now to um, Acts chapter 8. This is the second place. So when Jesus sends them out, where are they to go? Like, What is the Great Commission? Where, where are they to go? Everywhere. Everywhere. Where are they to start? <laughs> Where they're at, right? Yeah. This is what we see in Acts chapter 2. We see the beginning, right? The Spirit pouring in, declaring what is His, convicting. What happens when He convicts there? I'm, there, I'm tempted to go in and, and read the rest of the sermon, but I think you know what happens. The Spirit does His work to convict, and thousands are saved that day. Thousands are saved that day. It doesn't end there. We continue on through the story of the early church, and what do we find? Um, we find if we look in verse, or if we look into chapter eight, we find this other group of people that were closely related to the Jews, but that the Jews oftentimes, as we can see even just reading through scriptures, looked down upon these people because they weren't full Jews, right? They'd intermingled with the world in such a way that now the the full-blooded Jews looked at them with disdain, right? I'm not even going to touch you, to help you if you are in need, right? And now what do we find? But the gospel going to the, Samarit to the Samaritans and God declaring through the Holy Spirit, this is mine. This is mine. He makes this declaration again and again. These people, 
are mine. How does he do it? As Jesus told them, promised them, he would do it. The Spirit would declare it to them. Verse 14 of chapter 8. For the sake of time, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and what happened? They received the Holy what happened? They received the Holy Spirit. Um, answer me this. In this moment, did, did the Holy Spirit declare to them what was Jesus's? Did he? In this moment, was he making a declaration to his own people? expanding their understanding of what exactly was his. Was it the work of Peter here that brought the Holy Spirit? Or was Peter here so that he could witness what God had promised to him? And he declares in this moment, by pouring out the Spirit, this people, they're mine. They're mine. It doesn't end there. If we go over into chapter 10, we're going to hit a couple of little places really quick for the context of this. So he's poured his spirit out on the Jews, those who were closest to him, following him. He's poured his spirit out on the Samaritans. This, conti- this continues, church. His declaring of his reign expanding continues. So now we find ourselves in chapter 10 and we find a man by the name of Cornelius who in in verse 22 of chapter 10 we, we hear this of him and they said Cornelius a centurion an upright and God fearing man. So this is another group of people that the Jews would have been aware of. These are the God fearers here. These are the people who uh, when they heard who this God was that the Jews served There was a respect, right? We find Cornelius in verse 30, um, and it says, uh, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house. Praying to who? God. He feared God. And the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms. What is he doing? Giving offering to this God? Your alms have been remembered before God. And then Peter comes. Peter preaches the gospel to them. And before the altar call occurs, verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And in this moment, the Holy Spirit declares to them, they are mine. They are mine. This is the declaration that we see here. These people 
who are not Jews. They're not half Jews. They fear me. They're mine. But it doesn't end there. If we press on over into chapter 19, we see Paul entering into Ephesus here. And we see the Holy Spirit making declaration again and again and again. Verse 1 of chapter 19 of the book of Acts. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. I want you to ask yourself whose disciples were these. And he said to them, Did you not receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. So whose disciples were they? They were disciples of John. And then what does Paul do here? He proclaims the gospel. And what does the Spirit do here? But declare that they are mine. Let's read it. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. What's occurred here? Who are these people? These are the people afar off here, right? These are the people afar off. And what does Christ, through the Holy Spirit, declare of them? They're mine. They're mine. And he's been continuing this work. Why has this work not failed when we are so broken? Why? Why? When we can't seem at times to get our act together, has this thing not imploded in on itself? Do you ever wonder? Do you ever wonder how it is that a church that can look such a mess that you would expect to fail time and time again can press on in, over, and through failures to the uttermost places of this earth. How is it? It's because there's a person at work in Acts declaring that all things are Christ Jesus. That person is the Holy Spirit. And He has been doing that up to this day. He declares that over your lives, believers, you are mine. So if you find yourself in a place where you think you will lose, remember, remember that He has done this great work with a bunch of losers. (laughs) And in and through it, He has been declaring to us all along this is mine. Will he fail to complete this work? 
Will he, com- will he fail to complete this work, his work in this world? Will he fail to complete this work in you, believer? He will not. He cannot. He is declaring to each and every one of us that all belong to him. He confirms with your spirit that you are his. It is with that spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father, to the day he comes. May the Spirit of God overcome our failings and shortcomings. So that the world might be convicted by Him and His glory might be declared to us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for who you are. I thank you for what you have done. I thank you for what you continue to do in us. Lord, you are the one that makes promises and never fails to complete them. Lord, often times we make promises and we fail. We fall short We are in utter need of you. And as we live this life, that is a reality that your your spirit declares to us. That we are in complete need of you. Lord, what a marvelous thing it is to partake in this work that you are doing. Lord, let our eyes be opened to the work of the Spirit in this place that we would listen to the declaration that He makes about you and what is yours, Lord, as you sit on the throne as the ruler of this world has been judged inadequate, may you wield your spirit in the lives of your church that it would be said of us that they turned the world upside down. Until the day of your return, in Christ Jesus. Amen. Um, we'll do a time of invitation. Um, I'm uh, honestly not good at these. <laughs> but the Spirit is. Um, may, the, may the Spirit of God convict us. Um, if we find ourselves enemies of Christ may convict us that we might be made his friends and if we find ourselves as believers questioning what is Christ Jesus may the spirit of God declare to us that all that the father has is his
Uh, do with this time as you will.